Hi, everyone. It's Gracie with Self-Care with Gracie. It's great to be back with you all. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be leading us through a series on self-care untruths. And self-care untruths are the thoughts, the perspectives around self-care that each of us holds that are not beneficial for our authentic self-care practices. I see a big part of what we need to do in our self-care process in order to learn and to grow and to feel like self-care is really getting the job done for us is to start to look through what has not been working for us in terms of perspectives on self-care. And I want us to examine how our self-care factors into the bigger picture of how we're showing up in the world. This is an opinion that I've had on yoga practice for a long time. And I, I've, for those of you who don't know, I I've taught yoga in the Washington, D.C. area for about 10 years. And noticed that for some people I saw doing yoga, it felt like it just expanded so much for them. That they would come, they would take what they were doing on the mat, and then go out into the world and come back and report being like, wow, you know, this has really been helping me. I'm so much calmer with my family. I'm showing up differently at work. And I was like, wow, this your, your yoga is working. And then other people that, you know, I just kind of more observed them, and it just seemed like they were approaching their yoga in such a perfectionistic way that they were getting frustrated with themselves. They didn't seem calm after class. And, and I often had the thought, like, I don't, I don't think your yoga is working. <laughs> and I, I hope that doesn't come off like a judgment because it really isn't because I think we, we need to learn what we need to learn when we need to learn it. But I would say a metric of whether or not your self-care practices are working is are you, are you feeling kinder and gentler and more um, flexible with yourself? Are you finding access to discipline where you are not having to be so hard on yourself, but rather showing up for yourself consistently because you know it's going to make you feel better? Are you being kinder to the people in your life? Are you opening up space for more creativity and creative solutions to problems that had always stumped you? And, and the metric that I'm most excited about these days is your self-care practice giving you the energy and the fuel that you need in order to show up to create a socially just, anti-racist world. I think we're in a space in our time where, uh, where there's really not, no excuse for, for not looking at, at white supremacy and how that has shaped how, how so much of culture has functions and how it disadvantages so many people in culture, not for any reason other than um, personal gain by people who hold the power. And if you are a white person out there who is listening to this or someone who identifies as white, it, it's, this is your time. This is our time to be able to um, examine the ways that white supremacy works in our own life. These are our times to show up in anti-racist ways and really look at what that means. And these are times to explore what, what showing up in allyship with people of color or people who are um, marginalized or more vulnerable in more vulnerable populations, um, what that really means and how to do that in an authentic way that we're not just doing the quote unquote right thing, but we're really from an authentic place in ourselves showing up because it is the just and um, most energizing action that we can take. So I see that our liberation is tied up in, um, in the liberation of all people. And, that's, and if you are not a, a person who identifies as white and you are listening to this podcast, thank you for your time and attention. And I, um, I hope that something in here resonates for you. 
as well and that you can give me as a, as a white woman feedback around ways to show up in a way that would be more in allyship with, with what you see needs to happen in terms of um, the greater good and how self-care fits into that. So the self-care untruth, I'm, there's going to be three that I'll go through over the next three weeks. And the one that we'll, I want to focus on today is the idea that, um, that you have to fix yourself first before you can fix the world. And this, this brings in a really important distinction and that I've learned about self-care for um, the, the years that I've done this work with myself and with hundreds of clients who've gone through a really authentic self-care process which does end up leading to a lot more leadership and compassion and empathy. But the, the idea that there's a difference between self-improvement and self-care, I'm going to say that again. So there is a difference, and this is a, it's a subtle difference, but it is a vitally important difference that, that is probably the difference between your self-care practices feeling like they work or feeling like they don't work. And that's the difference between self-care and self-improvement. What I believe we've been taught is self-improvement. And that idea of self-improvement is built upon a flawed premise. And that flawed premise is that there is something wrong with us and that we have to make that something better through our, our self-improvement efforts. And that, for me, I'm going to give an example from my own life, which is that for years I thought I was too emotionally needy. And this was like a thing that came up again and again in relationships. Like, I'm too emotionally needy. I need to work on not needing as much. I, I'm like, I have too many emotions. And so a lot of my self-improvement efforts came from this thing of trying to like squelch these feelings and be like cool and not care. I didn't want to be like one of those crazy women, quote unquote crazy women. And as I learned more about self-care, I saw that that, it, that was founded in self-improvement or the idea that there was something flawed inside of me that I needed to fix. And, and what I've learned through self-care around um, my emotions and is that, one, they're totally normal and healthy and actually the portal with which I am able to sense the energy in a room, um, be able to tap into what a client needs in the moment, be able to look at a situation in the world and, and feel it in my heart and really want to show up and do something different. So my emotions are very valuable, number one. Number two, it is really normal to have emotional needs in relationships, especially. Like you, if you're out there and you feel needy, I'm going to speak directly to you. You're allowed to want somebody to call you consistently if you're in a romantic relationship, especially, to have a consistency of being contacted in a way that makes you feel um, like you're in a, a safe relationship. Um, you should be able to voice whatever emotions are coming up for you, even if they are messy. And, um, and that person should most of the time be available to help you, help you with that and to hold that with you and to actually be really grateful to you for doing that because it's, it's only in risking ourselves and voicing those needs that we are able to grow because that is vulnerable and vulnerability is power. And that if you are not able to access this in a relationship, it's not because something is wrong with you. It is because you have chosen an emotionally unavailable person. Whoa, right? Yeah, that took me years to learn that I, there was nothing wrong with me emotionally, but I consistently chose emotionally unavailable partners because I think that was a lot of my patterning was that I was so used to having um, emotional unavailability that that felt really normal and it felt like I needed to, to find somebody who was emotionally unavailable and make them available, which was kind of insanity. And it's taken me a long time and a lot of tears 
to go through that. So I hope that that, if, if you are feeling like you're struggling with that, it, it does not take you quite as long, that you are allowed to be in a relationship with someone who is emotionally available. It might feel a little scary at first if, um, if you never had it before. It was totally terrified me. I'm in a partnership now with someone who's very emotional available, and it freaked the hell out of me when we first started dating, so much so that I wanted to break up with this person. And I, I stuck through it. I got support. I practiced self-care. And on the other side, I'm like, oh, this is a whole different thing. I don't need to change myself. I don't need to improve myself. I just needed to care for myself. And so the caring actions I took in that scenario was that I, I really stopped dating emotionally unavailable people. And it, it was a year of me like starting to date and and turning away like person after person after person until I, I look at it like I just sent the universe a sign like no more like I'm not going to do this like I, I reject all emotionally unavailable people coming into my life and I'm, I'm only I'm willing to be with myself more than I'm willing to try to do that insanity so I, I hope that that example made the difference between self-improvement and self-care um, clearer that like you don't need to improve yourself there's nothing wrong with you um, and rather if you endeavor to care for yourself, that the solutions will come and they'll be surprising and you'll learn a lot about yourself and you'll probably have to feel a lot of emotions in the process, but it, it won't be this like futile struggle where you're always feeling like you're falling short. And if you feel that way, if you feel like you're falling short all the time and you, you're lazy, you lack discipline, you're probably coming from self-improvement. And that's no big deal, but you just need to label it. That's self-improvement. And what can I actually do in this moment that feels like self-care? If you have no idea what to do, it feels like self-care, call a friend that loves you. And that friend will tell you what to do. <laughs> and usually it'll be like, go easier on yourself, take a nap, relax a little bit, give it some time. Like those things are self-caring actions. And, um, and then also another exercise you can do is you can imagine what you would tell somebody that you love to do. So like, like I think of my son, like if he's having a hard time and he's crying, I'm not going to like tell him to shut up. Like I'm going to give him a hug and be like, hon, you're upset. Like what's going on? And he's only one, so he can't really vocalize the answers. But I, I feel that I'm like, this is the work. And I think the more we can do it with ourselves and just be self-caring, the, the less that we will feel like we need to improve the other people around us. And I know that that is just such a difficult dynamic in relationships that we feel like we have to improve other people. And that's, um, that's just us putting our perfectionism onto other people. And in the more that we do self-care work on ourselves, the more that that will naturally go away and our relationships will get much better. So how does this fit into the second part of it? So we don't need to fix ourselves. We don't need to improve ourselves um, in order to fix the world. So this is the other thing is that I, I do, and this is, this is a, a, I wouldn't say extremely current, but I've been, I've been evolving in my own perspective for a while around the idea that we actually, we do need to fix the world. I grew up in Unity Church, and if any of you all know Unity, it's very like, it's kind of hippie, new thought, new age, with the idea that like, we're, everything's perfect, we're all perfect, and um, any, any kind of like, attention to negative is just going to increase more of that negative. I don't think that that is completely wrong. I think that those skills have helped me a lot to just focus on the positive and keep moving forward in a lot of ways in my life. But what they also aided me in doing was something I call spiritual bypass. And spiritual bypass is this idea that like, you know, law of attraction, people are just holding their own experiences and attracting whatever they have in their lives. And um, I'm, I'm not going to look at anything hard because I don't want to mess up my own good mood. 
So in spiritual bypass, what it does is it's a form of denial. I really love the work of Rochelle Faithful and Virginia Rosenberg. They're doing a lot of work. Um, they're both activists and, and spiritual, spiritual activists who are helping white people in the spiritual community break down what is white supremacy and spiritual practice. And a big thing they talk about is like, spiritual bypassing and the like sending love and light I'm talking about after some of the really horrific murders and um by of black people by white or not even just by police officers that the culture did not really want to pay attention to and black lives matter were born out of, of that uh of people just responding to the messages sending love and light and and how you know there are moments when there's nothing we can actually do when someone's passed away and we just have to be like i'm holding you in that but in in this political movement of like why is this disproportionate attention um put on like when white people are murdered and not when black people are murdered especially when those black people are murdered by people who are supposed to be keeping us safe and to just send love and light to that movement is is a form of spiritual bypass that like you don't want to phys- you don't want to actually engage in the feelings and the rage and and the like societal upset that has to happen in order for these changes to be made so spiritual bypass i i would say that like m- my coming out of spiritual bypass has changed my life in not only just waking me up to how uncomfortable so many people in culture are um as, as i become less comfortable and that's what spiritual bypass does it it makes me less comfortable I see how much more uncomfortable people are around me and it it wakes up a compassion and and it wakes up an energy in me that I want to work to change things because that's not fair that's not just and that's not the world I want to pass on to my children and then it's also just honestly improved my life so much I think my uh, relationships are so much deeper I'm like really listening I'm really feeling with people more I'm really feeling my feelings more I have I just have a lot more self-dignity and respect I think than I used to because I, I'm not cut off. And that's what spiritual bypass did, was it gave me this pathway thinking I'm kind of better than that. And now I'm like, nope, just as confused as everybody else, but I do have a lot of tools. And that's what I'm grateful for in my spiritual practices, that I do have tools when things get challenging in my life or I see challenging things in the world. I know how to slow my breath down and I know how to um, cook a nourishing dinner so I have some fuel and get a good night's sleep. And that's what self-care is again, is like we don't have to negate our self-care in order to start showing up to fix the world. And and again, I, it's not that I think that like on a on a like spiritual sense we're all broken, but I, I think that we have systematic inequality, systematic racism. I think the culture of white supremacy in in our society, especially if you live in the United States or another Western culture, is um, it's hurting people of color and in, um, in continuous ways. And it's 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 people people who are like kind of considers themselves to be woke white people. I think some people are waking up to be like, whoa, actually, this is really messed up, and I'm complicit in it because I'm not challenging it, and I'm I can't be colorblind, and I can't just ignore that this is happening. And, and I think there are a lot of people out there who still don't want to deal with the reality of it. And I, I believe, this is my vision, is that if we can start to f- focus on our self-care while focusing on educating ourselves around systematic inequalities and systematic racism and what happens when white supremacy runs a culture, then we will naturally have the, the self-care skills to not get lost in, in the like feelings that come up when we start to really come out of denial. And my guess is like a lot of like uncomfortable feelings will arise for people, especially if you are white. If you are not white and you don't identify as white, I'm sure a lot of uncomfortable feelings have been arising for a while. And I apologize for not being able to recognize those more sooner. And, um, and, and all I can do is live it forward. 
by, um, by changing my messaging and by inviting everyone to come into this conversation who's listening to this, that like we don't have to, um, we actually can't live our lives backwards. We can't go back and change things. And maybe you are not like, from a, maybe you're from a family, like in my side of the family and my dad's side, I'm first generation American. And I could tell a story about how like my grandparents were refugees and how like life was not easy for them. And yet a huge part of my, of, of understanding white supremacy is to be like, and I still have it. I have so many advantages because I'm white and like period, <laughs> like there, that's, let's just stop there. And I, and I can do that. I think because I have support around me of, of a lot of people who are having a similar conversation in themselves. I have invested in resources and I'm excited to invest in more resources. And these are re like workshops and books and, um, podcast around anti-racism, especially ones that are um, given by people, women, women of color in general, but people of color too. It's, it's very generous to get their perspective because uh, there it, it is like an emotional labor I know in sharing it. And so I'm so generous in getting that perspective. And as I've mentioned, also just the daily self-care that I do of just going to bed and waking up and eating food and not taking my life force for granted because I know that my life force is valuable and I want to show up with it and that I will not be able to do that with self-care. I'm going to summarize a couple of the things that I talked about here. So one, you don't need to fix yourself. If you're in that mentality, that's self-improvement, just switch to self-care. Treat yourself like you would treat a friend. Notice there's a lot more energy that comes from that and that like who you are and how you were built is fine. Like you can work with that and you can actually thrive with that as long as you get out of that mindset that you need to fix yourself. And then this idea that like the world actually does need to be fixed. That if you're in the idea of like everything's perfect, I'm not going to focus on the negative spiritual bypass. And what, what to do is to come out of denial and to give yourself support of other people who are um, going through the similar process, especially like other communities of, of white people who have been doing this work for a while, if you do identify as white, so that like you can get support and you can have people help hold those feelings for you. Um, you can educate yourself and just make it a practice to like read articles and read books and watch movies and documentaries and start conversations with friends and you will very quickly change your mindset. I've been amazed by just how quickly over the past like year of focusing on this, just how much I've learned and how much my perspective has changed and how awesome and expansive and um, important that feels in terms of me just aligning with my deeper values and being able to show up. And then um, also just allowing a lot of imperfection. Anytime I talk about racism and anti-racism as a white person, I feel, I feel just how much I'm missing. And that's why, again, I just invite anyone to educate me. If you are listening to this and you're like, you're totally missing something, please let me know because there's, I'm, I'm already messed up a lot. I feel this. I've made mistakes. I've misspoken. Um, but I'm very committed to being able to, like, uh, to know that and want to learn. And I want to learn more than I want to be right here. So all of those are self-care skills to be able to take care of yourselves and then this final untruth is that I think that some of us feel like once I kind of get myself under control, I will be able to like show up for the world. And that's, that's I'm going to say that's again, that's perfectionism. And that's probably fear holding you back from making mistakes or feeling the uncomfortable feelings that of, um, of starting to like come out of denial around how, how broken the world is for so many of us. And, um, and I think that actually the best way, if you do feel broken, to fix yourself is to begin to show up and create a more just world and take anti-racist actions and all the things I've been talking about on this podcast, because I, I think that there, 
on the surface, it's very clear who suffers the most with white supremacy. And I think at a spiritual level, I I see a lot of people who are benefiting from white supremacy really suffering on this like really deep spiritual level that like they don't know who they are. And I I can probably do a whole other podcast about like how problematic white culture is in terms of just having um, being connected to your own heart and spirit. And, and the, what I have learned is that the more that I can show up, come out of denial, practice self-care in it, the more that I actually feel whole as a person, and, and which gives me more energy to do this work and more impetus to do this work. So it, I don't think this work works if I'm coming at it like I'm going to help everybody else. That's a little bit of a savior complex, not self-care. But I think this work works when we realize we all have something in the game. And um, for people of color, it's definitely about getting things materially more just and I'm willing to dedicate my life to work on that and for and for people who are white and and um benefiting from white supremacy I think it's so you can get your insides feeling right and that's really important too so I I hope that this has been helpful for you I invite you to reach out to somebody in your life and start a conversation around these concepts I also invite you to take some time to journal around how white supremacy shows up in your own life and the self-care actions that you can take in order to create a change in this respect. And finally, I am leading up this at the end of this month, I am launching, so this month being September, October 1st will be the first day of, uh, it's a collective that I am starting. It's a month-to-month uh, self-care program. It's called the Beautiful Life Collective. And it's really about a community of women who are people who identify as women coming together in order to invest in their self-care and, and not to invest in it and like it stops with me way, but then to invest in like the self-care beyond the self. So learning about how to care for yourself so you can show up for this conversation. <laughs> so you can look at your power and privilege so you can be the change agent and the influencer that, that you really want to be. So I will be offering um, a webinar at the end of September, September 24th, 3 p.m. Eastern time, 3 to 4 it's a Monday. I'll talk about how to turn your self-care into visionary leadership. It's an hour-long free call-in, and I want, I want as many women as possible to show up, especially if you are a leader in, in your family, in your community, in your workplace, or you want to be, and that's like a desire within you. Show up, and we'll talk about what it means. And it, it, it can be just like so messy and um, unknown to how you show up and, and we'll make some breakthroughs together. And during that webinar, I'll talk a lot more about the membership program too and what that looks like. It's, it's a month to month payment plan. So you can sign up for a month. And after that, after that month, it doesn't work for you, then that's fine too. And just, I really wanted to create a more affordable, accessible way to work together in a way that we can have a continuity of community because I feel like what we need more than ever, we need an inspiration and there will definitely be a lot of inspiration that will be provided in this community, but it will also be support, and that's essential. And this is for people, women who identify as white and women who identify as women of color. I have a really great leadership council of women right now who, um, there are some women of color on there who are just very helpful to me, so I'm, I'm hoping that it, it really feels like it's inclusive and, um, and welcoming to everybody. And again, please let me know in a way that it could be more inclusive and welcoming for you. Uh, so go to my website. It's selfcarewithgracygracy.com, and um, you can scroll down and sign up for the webinar. I look forward to uh, seeing you on there. And I think that's all for now. Okay, well, thanks, everybody. This has been really great to share this with you. I'll be back next week 
to share more about the second untruth. I will hold you in suspense to what that is. Please, in the meantime, reach out, Gracie at Self Care with Gracie, and thank you so much for your attention. Keep taking care of yourself. Bye bye. Hi, this is Gracie with Beautiful Life Self Care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned something new. If you want to connect more, then visit me at selfcarewithgracie.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter where on Wednesday afternoons, I'll send you more self-care practices, more inspiration, and more opportunity to connect to a community of people who really care about really good self-care. Also write me if you have any other questions or if you have ideas for future shows. My email address is selfcarewithgracie at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. And remember, keep putting yourself first and everything else will fall into place.